This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Margaret Tolive. Welcome to Axios Recap, where we dig into one big story. Today's Tuesday, November 23rd, and we're focused on how to bring grace to your Thanksgiving table. America is so politically and culturally tribalized right now, grace itself has become a loaded word. Here's the perfect example. In Congress, that shiny example for America's youth, a lawmaker was censured after tweeting an anime video depicting him killing another lawmaker, and his reaction to the censure was to retweet the video. If you thought the pandemic would restore our humanity, it turned out our disagreements over everything just made it worse. Over shutdowns, over masks, over vaccinations. What about inflation? What about schools? This Thanksgiving, you may be among millions of people who are dreading a return to the family table because you're gonna have to interact with relatives with whom you may deeply disagree. You might be worried they'll try to draw you into an argument you don't wanna have. You might be worried that sitting near them without telling them how wrong you think they are is tantamount to validating beliefs that you oppose. Kirsten Powers is a USA Today columnist and a CNN analyst, and she hit the bottom in her own struggles with that kind of judgment, anxiety, and anger towards others a few years ago. And then she decided that the only way out was for her to change the way she was processing these interactions. Her book, Saving Grace, chronicles that journey. And I sat down with Kirsten to ask how she applies the idea of grace to the holiday table. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We're joined now by Kirsten Powers, author of Saving Grace. Thanks so much for joining us, Kirsten. Hey, it's so great to be here. I'm excited about this conversation. Hey, it's Thanksgiving, and... That is what grabbed my attention with your book, your new book, Saving Grace, Speak Your Truth, Stay Centered, Learn to Coexist with People Who Drive You Nuts. There, I've given you the summary. You don't even have to read it, but you should. For a lot of people, the holiday is not easy. And like in a weird, perverse way, I think a lot of people, not everyone in America, but many Americans were actually relieved when the pandemic prevented them from having to have big holiday gatherings with people with whom they really disagree. I mean, over the course of the last five years, in particular, politics has become so polarized, so inflamed, it, it like actually causes dread and anxiety. Um, for someone who hasn't read your book yet, how can the idea of grace get you through the holiday season? So first, I think we have to just talk about what grace is and what grace isn't. And a lot of people have resistances to this idea because they think, oh, grace means just letting people get away with things and say whatever they want. And, you know, there's no consequences. And that's that's not what it means. Um, 
I think the word really appealed to me because in the Christian tradition, it's it's unmerited favor. And I, I use that because I am a Christian, but this book is not a Christian book. It is for everybody. But I think it's a great paradigm because what it says is it's not dependent on what the other person is doing. People just get it just because. And so it's not endorsing bad behavior. It's not saying that people aren't responsible for what they do, but it is sort of creating the space between you and and the other people who, in my case, were driving me nuts, right? So we could use boundaries, for example, right? We could say, like for some people, a boundary may actually be they're not going home, right? So you're allowed to do that. But if you are going home, one of your boundaries could be to say ahead of time to your family, hey, why don't we not try to solve the world's problems over Thanksgiving dinner and talk about something other than politics? Or let's talk about politics, but let's set some boundaries around how we're going to talk about them. Let's agree we will not speak to each other with contempt. Let's agree that we will not raise our voices. Let's agree that we will be curious and listen. And these kinds of things that don't include you screaming at somebody and them screaming at you or you sitting there seething with contempt, right? Are you of the belief that it's you're much more likely to be able to move people's views or or let the, allow them to consider a different position if your arm is outstretched or is that not what you're trying to accomplish you're just trying to create a peaceful dissonant coexistence I used coexist for a reason in the title when I think of sort of the country at large so that I'm not talking about family that you know or friends that you know, but just the general, the way we think about each other. Some people said, coexist sounds kind of distant. Like, why can't you say how we can learn to love each other? And I said, because I'm being realistic. Like, for us to be able to coexist and be at peace and not actually, like, have a civil war, which is, I often, what I feel like we're headed for, I think would be a real accomplishment. We have major disagreements in this country about serious issues, and we should never downplay that. This isn't about coming together to create unity or agree on things. This is this is actually something entirely different. I also should say, you actually don't have to like the person. That's the point. It's actually graceful for the person you don't like. It's much easier to give grace, like cut somebody some slack because, oh, well, I like them and they did something wrong, versus looking at another person thinking like, I don't have the slightest idea how a person comes to say these things or believe these things. This is so harmful. That is a, that's where grace comes in. I, you know, I think part of the challenge in this is that uh, Twitter and other kind of aspects of modern society pushes toward the idea that there's people who we think are good and people who think we think are bad or people who whose set of beliefs equals something we can get behind and affiliate ourselves with, whereas other people are like in the no zone, right? And I guess I'm just wondering like what you have concluded about that, because there may be some aspects of uncle whoever or aunt whoever's life that you're just horrified by, but can you like them anyway? And is it okay to... Do you, can they teach you something anyway, even though they have these things that you might instinctively think are disqualifying? Like, how do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's very hard. And I had a very hard time with that because I was already a pretty binary thinking person. And, and frankly, our whole country kind of thinks that way, even without Twitter. Our whole political system is set up that way. It's very binary, Democrats versus Republicans. And I think that you need to realize that people are more, and I feel like grace help when it kind of creates the space to see this, that people are more than 
the, the attribute about them that you don't like or that you find harmful, right? They are not the sum of their worst belief or their worst um, decisions. And so to see that there is actually some nuance there, and I think that makes people very uncomfortable. They want to just put somebody automatically into a bad basket. But I have an entire chapter on trauma about how so many people believe the things they believe or do the things they do because of traumatic experiences they've had. There's always a story behind other people, why they believe the things they believe. For me, actually, social media definitely brought out my evil twin. <laughs> and, and that's one thing I would also say for people when they're thinking, I'm going home, what can I do to kind of get in a position where I can be in a healthier space and create this kind of space for other people? I would say get off of social media, maybe through, even through the holidays, because all it does is get you all amped up on outrage. And then you're going to walk in and be like, there's somebody I can like vomit it all over, right? And it's like, you got to get it out of your body because you're so angry. Politics and just the deep partisan polarization is largely what led you to that place of, of anger and desperation that, that ultimately led you to look for grace. But this isn't all about politics. And I was really struck by one passage in your book where you said that one day while you were writing the book, you had an aha moment about your mom with whom you said you'd always had a tumultuous relationship and you'd resented her. You'd been angry for a long time. You went to therapy about it. Nothing was working. You said in that moment, as I thought of my 20 something mother facing an unplanned pregnancy while pursuing her PhD, my body was flooded with empathy. I thought about how she had been forced into a more conventional life than she wanted by the expectations of society and her Catholic parents. And by the time she figured out she was living someone else's life, she had two children and a husband. Mm -hmm. When you think about grace, there is an element of knowing what you don't know about the person who you are angry with or feel betrayed by or feel antagonistic toward or isolated from. And, you know, when it's not your mom, you can't always find out the backstory. Like, how do you take that aha moment that you had about your mom how do you think about that with strangers who you'll never know why they are the way they are? What makes them that way? I think that you do, and people have a lot of resistance to what I'm about to say, that you do look at them and say they're doing the best they can with what they have. I don't know their story, but there's a story there. And sometimes when people hear that, they think I'm saying, and therefore they're not responsible or there are no consequences for their behavior. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that now that I have taken the time to really reflect on who she was and where she was and all of the forces that kind of came together to put her into the situation, I can have empathy for it. That doesn't mean that it was okay or that I didn't have a right to be upset or any of those things. It's just that she really was doing the best she could. And what more can I ask from her, really? Um, and that was a real turning point in our relationship where I was able to extend that grace to her and we were able to, for me to say, like, I also see all the great things that I got from you. All the things I, ha I got from having this, you know, trailblazing feminist mother, archaeologist in Alaska, you know, teaching me about justice when no one was talking about it and all these other things, right? It's, it's not all or nothing. And I think we often go into the all or nothing. There's always a story behind other people, why they believe the things they believe. We're all a product of 
where we grew up, what we've been exposed to, you know, who does everybody in the community listen to for their news? Who would your uncle be if he was living in a different place where he wasn't being fed information that wasn't true, right? So it is seeing the humanity in other people. Kirsten Powers, as we all prepare to say our own version of grace at the Thanksgiving table, I want to say thank you to you for giving us a lot to think about. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Welcome back. Here's something else I've been thinking about as I get ready to head to the grocery store. Like every other issue in the U.S. today, we're hearing two parallel stories about the price of the holiday meal. So is inflation really making Thanksgiving dinner unaffordable, or is it the best value of the season? For some context, we look to the American Farm Bureau Federation, which has been tracking the price of frozen turkey and other side dishes for decades. Turns out this year's Thanksgiving dinner for 10 will cost an average of $53.31. Compare that to 1947, when, adjusted for inflation, the price of the same dinner was $48.16. The most expensive year was $56.15. That was in 1986, when there was a record low number of turkeys produced. But turkey is more expensive this year. It's about 24% more. On the other hand, frozen turkey is so relatively cheap, it's like $1.50 per pound, that even a 24% price increase might only translate to around $5 a bird. There's no doubt. It all adds up. Cranberries are up 11%. Dinner rolls are up 15%. But, and I was very happy to learn this, one comfort food that can save the day is the price of bag stuffing cubes. It's actually down 19% a bag this year. We'll learn more about the Thanksgiving supply chain tomorrow on Axios Recap. But if you want my mom's stuffing recipe, email me at margaret at axios.com. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Margaret Tolliff. 